Why is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Let me record this because, okay. The show. The show is so often about you and your stories. And, you know, you don't really ask Luke anything about his life or his stuff. It's just all about you. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, that is actually not true because we do actually have two-sided conversations, but you're in charge of the editing Mm -hmm. and you get to cut out all the humiliating stories about yourself. I know. It's great, isn't it? This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. That big and that historic, you're going to have mice. You just are. Mm -hmm. Right. All the kitty cats in the world. Well, if if between the corgis, the um, what are the sentries called? The guys with the red furry hats, or the red guys in red? Oh, with the, the furry bee feeders. Hats. Um, the bee feeders. No, or the, no. Um, oh, the um, the big ones. The, the guys who stand sentry yeah, outside. Yeah, Like if they can't get rid of a mouse if anyone any president can't get rid of mice like what hope right. does the rest of us have that this is it's ever true be? you know i kind of feel like the we have mice yeah of course we do everyone's got them right this is why the great mouse detective was clearly mm. the greatest sleuth of all, all right. time because he's a mouse this is why i'm always <laughs> yelling at the children do you want mice because this is how we get mice i know and they're still just like eh, i don't know yeah we'll see just because we have two murder kittens, everyone's like, oh, this is all good now. Yeah, it's all going to be fine. Otherwise, so, oh, the parade starts soon? I'm intrigued to see what this Parade Across America nonsense is. I know. It reminds me of Hands Across America, which didn't go so Yeah, well. no. And then I think we're coming up on the luncheon, which is always the thing, like, I forget every four years how boring that is. Mm-hmm. Every four mm-hmm. years, I'm like, oh, I, this whole day, I love all the much like Biden, love all the pomp and circumstance and the right, marching bands and, flags and yes. everything. And then the luncheon starts and they air it live and I'm always like, this is so boring. Yeah, we I don't need imagine. to see them eat. No. Yeah. Salmon at a buffet. I'm good. Like, I don't need to watch this. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Feed it to the mice. Yeah, the capital's got to have some uh, infestations, right? Probably, well, probably, but maybe they, they might be gone for now because they got scared out of there a couple weeks ago. They'll come back. Underground tunnels don't seem like a great idea where as far as rodents are concerned. No, that's true. Safety, security for everyone else, of course, makes 100% make sense. Uh, not so much. No, not so much. Who did you first discover that you were good at what you do? How do you find out, discover you're you're good at speed talking? Oh, okay. Well, the way that I did that was I I was working at a radio station, WBLS-FM. Well, you know what? Actually, the way that I I actually discovered it, it wasn't like I said, oh, one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a fast talker, whatever. In sixth grade, I had a teacher. If you didn't answer the questions right away, you used to call somebody else. What to do is memorize like 10 different answers so one of the answers would be right. So all of a sudden, I would like, he would say, like, who was the 15th president? I'd be like, Lincoln, Washington, Monroe. I would just yell out answers and all the kids would start laughing. And so I went, ah, if I do this fast talking thing, I could get kids laughing. And so, you know, whatever. I became a stand-up comic first. 
And then I was working at a radio station, WBLS-FM, and I was doing comedy for them, writing comedy skits. And one day, kidding around, I said, you know what? I can do this really cool Mae West impression. But I called the character Junice, Mae West's long-lost sister. So all of a sudden, the DJ swings the weather and traffic copy at me, and the little red tally light goes on. And you know in um, radio, of course, you can't have any dead air. So I see that, I, you know, I start going, oh, so see the weather and traffic is. And in the 30 seconds I happened to do it, this lady calls me up from the Daily News and says, hey, I'm doing a story on weather and traffic people. How long have you been doing it? Well, I wasn't going to tell her like 30 seconds. I said, ah, I've been doing it for a while. She said, what do you have, you know, plan on doing next? And then in the next, but I had a lady from the Daily News. So I said, oh, I'm thinking of breaking a world record. And she's like, for what? But I didn't have a for what. So I said, oh, I can't tell you. She goes, listen, the article has to go in by 6 o'clock today. If you decide that you want to let me know, give me a call. So I went out, buy a dentist book, start looking through the book, like, what could I do? I see fast talking, and I knew that all my life people had told me I talked fast. So I called again and said, what do you have to do? They said something from Shakespeare, the Bible. And I figured, well, I had a prayer, you know, from the Bible, whatever. So anyway, so at 6 o'clock that night, I call her back, and I say, all right, listen, I'm thinking of breaking. I'll tell you what it is. I'm thinking of breaking the world's record for fast talking. She said, well, what's the record at? I said, 500 and 85 words a minute. She said, what are you at? I said, uh, five, eight, well, actually it was 552 words a minute. She said, what are you at? I said, 550. I said, those last two words of a killer. So she printed in the paper, and the very next day, the Larry King Live people call me up and ask me to go on the show and break the record. So I was like, well, what if I don't break it on the show? They go, Larry doesn't care where you break it or not. He just cares that you try it on the show first. So I already knew what, you know, Guinness had said that I had to do. So I figured I would do the 91st Psalm. It was a prayer that my mother had taught me. So I practiced for like five hours. They had a limo pick me up. I went on a show and at that time broke the record to 585 words a minute. Then I rebroke it at the Guinness Museum in Vegas. It was 603.32 words a minute, which is 11 words a second. Wow. Are you still there? We are. Was it too fast that you're still processing? No, nope. we actually caught kept up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. That's good. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, the thing is, and then I do things like, uh, you know, people say, well, what are the benefits? I would go, listen, if I get into a fight with, my, you know, like I would get into a fight with my ex-husband, he goes, was I in a fight? I go, listen, not only when you're in it, it's over, you're lost. And so <laughs> I would just... It was like these crazy things. Like my son would always say, "Well, at least the punishment took quick," you know. <laughs> right? So no, this it, is it's just a matter. Yeah, it's just a matter of you know whatever talent you have in life, whatever it is, you utilize it to the best way that you can, making sure you always have fun with it. That's not. This is not your only talent that you have capitalized on. You've done so many incredible invent- adventures. What? inspired you to try all the other crazy things you've done yes well you see most people know me because of the fast talking that's the record that i hold that most people know about and that's the one that i've been on tv the most with i've done over 
4,500 radio shows and over 500 television shows all over the world, you know, and I get hired by uh, people to be a spokesperson with anything that has to do with efficiency or speed. So, for example, like I got hired by Auntie Anne's Pretzels and they wanted me to find the person that could say their tongue twister the fastest. So I got flown all around the country to do the, you know, the contest with these little kids. And, you know, then they would do a thing like they would make me do challenges like with uh, who could text, can I talk faster and call for order a pizza with Papa John's or could they text faster? And they had to pay me more money to lose because I was like, I'm not losing this contest. They were like, no, no, we need the text thing to go fast. I go, you better pay me a lot more money to lose. So, yeah. so and then, you know, like uh, when Paramount Pictures, Eddie Murphy had a film came out that was called A Thousand Words. So Paramount called me to uh, do a whole thing of doing the entire press release under a certain amount of time. So that's the thing I was most known for. But I hold nine world records. Two times it's for doing the fast talking record. I also did a record where I did a book signing at the top of the world in Kilimanjaro. And I also did a book sign down by the record. Uh, wreck side of the Titanic. So by the top of the world and the depths of the sea. And the way that I actually did these two records, see, again, everything in my life, I was lucky that my mother told me nothing is impossible. And my dad told me to always find the humor in life. So if I did something and it worked, it would become part of my motivational speaking. And if I did it and it didn't work, it would become part of my stand-up comedy. So either way, it was like a win-win situation. So, but my mother told me never to be scared to try something. So in my mind, I would always go, like, so the way that it happened with, for example, Kilimanjaro, um, you know, I saw a movie about Kilimanjaro, and I was like, ah, oh, that'd be cool, maybe one day to climb it, whatever, but it wasn't like a thing I was thinking about, and I was writing a book about adventures, because I've also written 22 books, and I was writing a book about this rock climbing adventure I did, and I called the place to make sure that they still had it. And I said, hey, do you still do this rock climbing thing? They go, oh, yeah, not only do we do rock climbing, we now do mountain climbing. And then the guy names, like, some mountain that I had never heard of, like Mount Bob. And I'm like, listen. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm like, no offense, but I'm climbing a mountain. I'm not climbing Mount Bob. You know, I've got to, you know, climb a mountain that I've heard about. She goes, what about Kilimanjaro? And I was like, what about it? And they were like, well, would you, you know, we, have the, uh, we led the IMAX movie team up Kilimanjaro. So I said, well, I don't know. So I, I, I mean, I knew it was in Africa. I didn't know exactly where it was. I said, all right, let me look it up. So I find out that an 83-year-old woman had climbed Kilimanjaro. So I figured, well, if an 83-year-old woman could do it, I could do it. Of course, I didn't realize she was like in a wheelchair and got airlifted up there. Small <laughs> detail. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. Yeah, right. Find a detail. Exactly. So, of course, anytime I do these things, like, I get really excited. So, at the time, my son was 14. I run into him. Spencer, guess what we could do? We could climb Kilimanjaro. And he's like, I don't even like to walk. 
I'm like, no, no, you're missing the point. The glaciers are going to melt by the year 2014. And he's like, Mom, it's 2008. We've got time. I'm like, no, no, wrong attitude. So now we practice. You know, all my friends said, oh, we'll do it with you. Of course, they opened out one by one. And so now, I, you know, we're going to climb Kilimanjaro. But then I was like, oh, man, so many people have climbed Kilimanjaro. I don't want to just be like one of the people that climbed Kilimanjaro. If I'm going to do it, I should do something different. So then I thought, hey, why not do a book signing at the top of Kilimanjaro? So I figured at that point, I had the book, Almost the Wise Guy, and this other book, uh, the book, Adrenaline Adventures, that I read. So I'm like, yeah, I could do a book sign at the top of Kilimanjaro. So now I figured, you know, first of all, climbing Kili or doing any of the adventures that I do are not cheap. So climbing Kilimanjaro at the time, you know, was, I think it was like $15,000. I was like, oh, man, where am I going to get 15000 So I had to figure out how to get the money. And everything in my life is, if I want to do it, how can I get to my goal? Not if I can, how I can. And so what I did was I decided that I would try to get sponsorship. So because I had the book, I called up the company. I go, hey, did you ever have somebody do a book signing at the top of the world? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I can do a book signing at the top of Kilimanjaro. I just need you to sponsor it. And they're like, we don't sponsor authors. I go, listen, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for your company. Your company can say that you have a record with an author to get a book signing at the top of Kilimanjaro. So then they were like, all right. So then I called Ripley's, then I got them to sponsor me. Then I had just finished doing a gig for Master Foods where I had done a speaking engagement as a motivational speaker, and I was also uh, uh, doing a product that they had out. And then I called the CEO of the company. I go, listen, I go, I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro in two weeks. How would you like to give me one of your candy bars at the top of Kilimanjaro? They go, this is corporate. Things take longer than two weeks. I go, listen, I'm leaving in two weeks. You want to you wanna sponsor, you have a, a bar, they go, well, actually, we have a bar coming out called the Marathon Bar. I go, perfect. Send me a bunch of bars. I'll give the climbers the bars. We'll all stand there with pictures at the top of Kilimanjaro with these bars. Anyway, so I got sponsorship. So now we're climbing the mountain. Oh, man, it was hard. It's the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. And we're climbing seven days. And each time you think Africa, you think it's warm. But every day that you climb, it's gets colder and colder as you get closer to the top. And when you're climbing for 11, 12 hours a day, and you got to be careful you don't get altitude sickness or you could die. So, you know, yeah. and the only cure is to come down. So we're climbing. Every day my son's going, it's not getting any closer. I go, no, 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 it is, it is. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, so now we're getting, <laughs> we're climbing. And it's midnight, the night before the summit, because they want to wake you up at midnight to summit at sunrise. And you can see sunrise at the top of Kilimanjaro. And it was minus 15 degrees with 45 mile an hour wind. So now my son's going, Mom, we're going to die. I'm like, we're not going to die. And he's like, Mom, we're going to die. I'm like, we're not going to die. And then I'm thinking, we're going to die. What was I thinking? <laughs> you know, the water in Camelback are frozen. I've got my son there. We're climbing. Anyway, we get to the top of the mountain. And when we get there, um, uh, we had the Maasai warriors because that's who carries the um, stuff for your the quarters. They're, those are or Sherpas, and here they're Maasai warriors. So the Maasai uh, carried the stuff up. We get to the top, and I have the book. So I had a chair. I sat down, and as people came up, I'm like, "You're up here. What else are you doing? Buy a book." So I made people line up, and I did the first book signing at the top of Kilimanjaro. So that picture circulated around the world. 
and I got an email out of the blue from Brian Day O'Connor, who was Sandra Day O'Connor's son, the former U.S. Supreme Court justice. I didn't realize it at the time. And he goes, oh, my God, I think it's great that you do a book signing at the top of the world. You know, P.S. And he goes, I didn't know such a woman existed. P.S. I'm going down to the Titanic. So I'm like, hey, <laughs> room for another person? Uh, you know, I figured, hey, there's no harm in asking. See, I always have this thing in my head. Like, I have these mindsets, you know, like, just say yes and figure it out later. No such word as can't. Nothing is impossible. And so one of my mindset is never be afraid to ask for what you want in life. So I figured this guy is going down to the Titanic. So he goes, well, I don't know. You'd have to ask. I said, well, get me in touch with the people. So I get in touch with the people, and they said, well, three requirements. I said, what are they? They said, you can't be claustrophobic. I said, okay, that's not a problem. And then, Oh, no, first one was that you can't have high blood pressure. I said, okay, that's not a problem. Then the second one was you can't be claustrophobic. And I said, well, what happens if I am? They said, well, it's a seven-and-a-half-foot submersible. You're going to be two-and-a-half miles down by the bottom of the sea. You can't have anybody panic. I said, well, what if somebody lied and said they weren't? And then they got down there. They said, oh, then we shoot you with a dart gun. I'm like, a dart gun? They said, yeah, we can't have people panic. I said, what's the third thing? They said, you can't have excessive flatulence. I go, what do you mean? They said, you can't fart too much. I go, why? They said, because it's pure oxygen, and if you fart too much, you could blow up the ship. I'm like, what? So I'm like, that is not the way I want to go out in life. I was thinking of all the things you've done. Exactly. That is not the way you want to be remembered. You know, when on your tombstone it says that, you know, she took out the Titanic with her butt, you know. So so I didn't know how much was too much, but I didn't want to ask them. So I looked it up and found out that the average person farts 18 times a day. So I figured, okay, so I started counting. And when I got to 12 and it was bedtime, I figured I was safe. Unless there's six more in my sleep I don't know about. So now I'm like, all right, I'm good. So I said to the people, hey, by the way, is there a bathroom down there? They go, no, there's no bathroom. It's only seven and a half feet. I said, am I going to be down there 12 hours? I said, what if I have to go to the bathroom? They said, oh, listen, 12 hours before, you stop drinking. 24 hours before, you stop eating. I said, okay, let's say I do that, and I still have to go to the bathroom. They said, well, then we give you a packet. I'm like, a packet of what? They go, we give you a packet, you put it up against your body, you wear a little shower curtain, you stand on the chair and you pee next to the pilot's head. I said, I am not peeing next to a pilot's head. I mean, I'm in a seven-foot tank. I'm not, I'm not peeing next to a pilot's head. So I figured I would wear a depend. But then I figured, listen, there's only three of us in there. If something happens, they know it's not them. They know it's you. So I just didn't eat, didn't drink. You couldn't wear lipstick because anything Vaseline-based, could actually cause the inside of the submersible to explode, you know? So I'm like, oh, my Lord, there's so many things. You couldn't wear sneakers. You couldn't wear any shoes because nothing could rub against the bottom of it. It could cause a spark. So it was like all these crazy things. So now the day comes, and you had to pick straws of, like, who was going to go down. And I had to raise a sponsorship money for that, too, because it was $35,000 to go down. And if on the day you were going to go down, it was bad weather, oh, too bad. And I just didn't have that kind of cash laying around. 
So I raised sponsorship money, you know, the book signing top of the world, book signing down by the depths of the sea. So I raised sponsorship money for that. And then I, I uh, went there and I figured, all right, so what am I going to do when I'm down there? So I figured I'd do another book signing down by the rec site, but I didn't want to only do a book signing. So I figured no one ever said a prayer down by the rec site. When people died, they said it up on land. So I became an ordained minister so I could be the first person to ever say a prayer down by the wreck side of the Titanic. And um, my mother was like laughing. She goes, every time I speak to you, you're coming up with something else. I go to work. I come home. You're an ordained minister. What, what's the deal? <laughs> I'm like, well, mom, you know, you got to go. I said, well, there was a thing online. You could join a ministry thing. You had to take a couple of courses online. I did it in a day. I became a minister. <laughs> so, and then I got a naval uh, minister to actually tell me a non-denominational prayer that I could say by there. So I became the first person to ever do a prayer down by the rec side. But when you go down there, we had to pick straws of, you know, who was going to go down first out of all the passengers on the Keldish. Now, you guys have seen the movie The Titanic, right? It was a ship of dreams. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> so you remember the whole movie about how everything, you know, was. Do you remember in the beginning of the movie The Titanic? that they thought they found that blue diamond, that necklace, and they opened the safe and there was only the papers in there. Remember that movie? Yep. That part? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. The guy standing behind that safe is this guy, Anatoly Salgovich. Anatoly is the one that designed the Mir 1 and 2 that goes down to the wreck side of the Titanic. He made a deal with Cameron because obviously Cameron, when he did the movie, had to use the pilot. So he's in every Cameron movie that had to do with the Titanic. So he was uh-huh. also our pilot. So I have a New York accent. You, I can't tell. Yeah, I know. I hide it very well. Usually when you people do. ask me where I'm from, I say Texas, and they go, Ooh. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure. If, you, if I could tell you that, I got the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge, I'll tell you. Yeah. Right. So the straw that was picked was with a Japanese woman. And so it was me, the Japanese woman, and the Russian woman. So we going down, and it, like, it takes a couple of hours to go down, total darkness. And we're going down. Finally, we get to the Titanic, the bow. And there's only these little six-inch windows that you could look out of. And when you look out the six-inch windows of the bow, you know, you, I mean, of the, the mirror, you could see the Titanic, but it's, there's no other light. It's total darkness down there. After 500 feet, total darkness down by the sea. It was just an amazing experience, uh, you know, doing those were like my two craziest records. Um, I held other world records. Uh, we went with this group called Cairo Mission, and we saw uh, 39,041 patients in two days. I did a record where I also became, uh, we had, I had a song that, was, that, I, that someone else wrote for me, but I produced it, and it got from concept to national airplay within 24 hours. I did a oh. TEDx talk, uh, how to break a world record mindset, how, how a world record mindset could help you accomplish anything, and I actually broke a world record on the TEDx stage where I did my full 18-minute talk, and then I redid the entire talk in under a minute. And then my last record, my ninth world record, was I became the first woman to zip line inside an active volcano. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I feel completely uh, 
uh, overwhelmed. Good. I'm, I'm glad you said overwhelmed because a lot of people say, I feel like I've accomplished nothing. And it's not a competition. And I go, listen, this is how I want to live my life. Everybody could live their life any way they want. You know what I'm saying? I just feel that God gave me a life and I want to use up every bit of it. And clearly that's the message of everything you're doing, I'm assuming, is not to be afraid of anything and to just go for it. Yes, to go for it if you want to. Never let someone talk you into something <laughs> you don't want to do. Like that, there's been people who go, oh, but you never did. They go, man, I don't want to. Oh, you're scared? I go, no, <laughs> just don't want to. Uh, yeah, and that's the other thing is people in life too often do things because other people tell them, you know, you have any stories? Oh, I went into this business because my dad wanted me to be a lawyer. I really wanted to be a priest. And I'm like, really? And why didn't you do the other thing? Well, because you respect your parents. I always believe in respecting the people that brought you up, unless, of course, they beat you to a pulp or something, you know, and then, of course, they're all bets are off. But, if, you know, Fair. if the person raised you to the best of their ability, but they think you should go into this field and not that field, you could still be respectful and say, I appreciate the way you raised me, but the way you raised me gives me the confidence to be able to go into the field of my choice. And so I always feel that you should never let anybody talk you into something you don't want to do. And you don't want to be a sheep. You know why? People eat sheep. You don't want to be a sheep. You want to do your own thing. So what's the, what's the first step of doing that, of just doing it? What's the, what's the first thing you would tell someone to do? Of just saying yes and figure it out later. Okay. Basically, that is my thing. When, when someone wants to do it, this is what I feel. The first step in that is don't let the self-talk. See, the self-talk is what um, convinces people not to do it. What if I fail? So what? You just have to be able to say, do you want to, it's all the questions you ask yourself. Do I want to do this? Yes. What's holding you back? I'm scared. What are you scared of? I'm scared of fail. So if you fail, what happens? then I'll do it again. And then what happens if you fail again? I could do it again. What happens if I lose my money? Well, are you never going to make money again in your life? No, of course, I'll find another job. Okay, so is it worth trying it? Would you rather live your life miserable? You ask yourself the question. And you, the main thing is, do you want to do it? And if your answer is yes, you put everything else inside, providing it's not going to harm somebody or you know do something bad to somebody. I'm talking within the realm of morals. And if you want to do it, you do it. And you just stop. I say, if you want to do something, find a way. If you don't, you find an excuse. And too many people live their life by their excuses and not by, by what they want to do. For more information on Fran and the myriad of things she's done and all of the world records she's broken, you can visit her website, francapo.com. And for even more of Fran's amazing story about visiting the wreck of the Titanic, check out our website, which is whythepodcast.com. You can follow us on all the various socials. Our website is whythepodcast.com and has all sorts of additional stories and videos. It's also where you can sign up for our newsletter. We're also on YouTube if you're into that kind of thing. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, because if you don't, We'll call your mother and tell her that she's completely right. You would look so much prettier if you smiled more. Why the Podcast is part of Mudhouse Media. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our willing executive producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. 
The theme song was performed by the Electrosynth O Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?